I've had pain and I remember pain, which was poorly controlled and it was horrible. I think it just has a huge impact on life. I'm Jane Grogan and I'm a scientist. I've been at this for more than 20 years now and I think perhaps the only thing better than doing science is talking about the science. Lucky for me, I work in a place where I am surrounded by some of the brightest minds in research. However, there's usually not much time to just sit and talk. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be hosting this podcast. I'm going to step away from my lab today and chat with a colleague about some of the cool stuff we're working on, especially as we try to link these discoveries to new medicines. So grab your favorite drink, get ready to unlock your science brain and join us for Two Scientists Walk Into a Bar a podcast for biotech geeks and the people who want to hang out with them. There are a lot of science topics which need explaining, but not this one, pain. Pain is something we all know something about and some of us too much. What is the worst physical pain you've experienced? Uh, I would say probably when I broke my arm uh, several years ago, and when I also broke a leg. Yeah, so bone breakage primarily. Uh, my um, baby's birth. <laughs> I have two kids, so probably that's the one. I remember like dislocating my knee when I was younger. That would be my kidney stone. <laughs> For me, I would have to go with my torn ACL. That really hurt. The point is, most everyone can relate to pain. It's a topic that has been documented since the very first medical textbook. But now scientists are looking at this very old problem in innovative ways. I'm sitting at the bar today with Morgan Cheng, a former neuroscience professor at Harvard Medical School and MIT. Morgan is a leading expert in neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's as well as neurodevelopmental disorders like schizophrenia and autism. He's also an expert in how our brain responds to pain. Welcome, Morgan. Glad to be here. Foundational question first, Morgan. What do we mean when we talk about neuroscience? Neuroscience, quite simply, is the science of how the nervous system works. Say neuroscience is the very wide, diverse discipline that brings together people who are interested in how the nervous system works and they could be studying it from the molecular level, like how the molecules work in neurons, to how the brain in a human being integrates signals and comes out with cognitive outcomes. So the study of neurobiology really is linking the cognitive behavior to molecular and cellular processes and all the other way around. So yeah, you could think about neurobiology in one sense as trying to understand the wiring diagram that underlies behavior. I think that's a very easy way of um, conceiving it, mm -hmm. which is that the function of the nervous system is largely mediated by electrical signals that are passed between cells called neurons, and that cells, the neurons in the brain, they link up in what we call circuits, and different circuits serve different functions. Perhaps we could just focus this on something that's very universally familiar to all of us, which is pain. And obviously the way we respond to pain is driven by controls in the brain, by these electrical circuits in the brain. Pain is felt by all mammalian animals and maybe even vertebrates, lower vertebrates as well. I mean, this is a good thing, right? Because we yeah, don't want to I be mean, grabbing hot pain. things. I mean, there's, and... a, there's a reason why pain sensation is present in a large number of animals and that is because it improves survival. So what pain does is it protects you from injury, right? So if you don't feel pain, 
then you might get too close to a fire. If you don't have pain, you might keep walking on an injured foot. How do we sense pain? The circuit, the neuronal circuits that serve pain sensation are pretty well understood mm -hmm. compared with many other kind of brain functions. First of all, you have to have the sensation of pain. So that occurs at the ends of nerves that are innervating the skin. For so fit out in your fingertips, yeah. for example. So pain sensors are in every part of your body, but particularly in the skin and also in your viscera, in your guts. They will detect injury to the tissues around them. So for instance, let's say you put your finger on a hot stove, that heat, that temperature will injure the tissue around the skin and it will be picked up by these sensory endings of the pain-sensing neurons that extend peripheral axon or like a wire out mm -hmm. to that periphery. Then that neuron will fire a signal, an action potential, and that action potential will travel all the way down that axon to the spinal cord. So like turning on a switch? Yeah. It'll light up, it'll literally conduct an electrical signal to the spinal cord, which is part of the central nervous system. That cell will then transmit the signal to another cell, which will then conduct the electrical signal up into the brain with a few additional relays in between. And, then the, and then the brain says, ouch. Yeah, and the brain doesn't actually say ouch. It, <laughs> it recognizes it as ouch because the ending, it fires some neurons in the brain, which only fire when there's pain. So it is coding for pain because of what neurons are firing. So Morgan, how do we categorise pain? And then with that in mind, how do we think about the different treatments for those different categories? Well, there is a kind of pain that is good for you and we're not going to treat, okay? So that's the pain of touching a hot stove. We call that nociceptive pain and we don't treat that because it's a very useful function. Then there is, I would say, maybe acute pain, which is what happens after the immediate nociception. And examples of that would be you have an operation, you wake up, you feel pain, or you have your tooth pulled out. There is pain that lasts for hours to days. I would call that acute pain, usually due to inflammation. That, if you didn't treat it, you'd probably survive, but you're made more comfortable if you can get an analgesic. And then there's the chronic pain, which is more the kind of pains that we are most interested in. So within the second example, in acute pain and in the analgesics that are used to treat it, this includes things like... The non-steroidal analgesics. For instance, I'm sure most of you have experienced a dental operation of some sort when you wake up and the local anaesthetic wears off. And then you take ibuprofen and that largely solves the problem. And this is also the category that the opiates, the opiate prescription painkillers are used for as well. Sometimes and probably inappropriately, prescription opioids might be given for that, but I personally would not prescribe or take those for some acute pain. But in pain, terms of which, the acute pain, which is the, you know, you've had an yeah. operation or you've, yeah. you know, so you, you're often, repairing a exactly, knee surgery, yeah. for example. Often if you have pain that is going to last for days and it's very painful, opioids are often prescribed for that. And then what are the options for chronic pain? Chronic pain, we divide in two parts. One is the chronic inflammatory pain, and that usually affects the muscles and joints and bones. And again, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are somewhat effective for that. So remove uh, the inflammation and you will decrease some of the pain. Right. So again, things like ibuprofen or the longer acting kind of versions of that kind of drug. Those are very popular. Sometimes opioids are also given for that because the anti-inflammatory drugs are not adequately controlling the pain. Then there's chronic neuropathic pain, meaning pain that arises as a result of injury to the nerves or the neurons, either in the periphery, in the nerves, or in the spinal cord itself. There, it's not due to inflammation, but somehow the damage 
to that neuron, which could be from many causes, including trauma or drugs. Like it's severed, for yeah. example, or something. Or certain chemotherapeutic drugs, diabetes. There are many causes of mm -hmm. neuronal injury which causes pain. There's no really good treatment for those right now. There are some drugs that kind of subdue activity in those neurons and the firing of those neurons, which then will prevent the pain. But those drugs are not highly effective and they have a lot of side effects. So opioids are great, obviously, for dealing with pain, but there's a huge increase in not only use, but also abuse of the drug as well. Yeah. They are very effective at reducing pain, and they've been used for centuries to do that, but they carry really bad adverse effects as well, particularly the common prescription opioids, which even though they're often prescribed by physicians for pain, are very addictive and can have nasty side effects when taken in overdose. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but there are these really disturbing stories of how many people get hooked on prescription opioids because they were prescribed it for a short period of time, let's say a few weeks, for a traumatic injury or whatever, an operation, and then they just couldn't get off it. So that's why I think it's really important to keep studying pain and keep looking for therapeutics for pain that are novel there's still a huge unmet medical need for good pain treatment. So where are we with that? Where is the field with that right now? There is um, a lot of research going on to try and get really effective analgesics that don't have the side effects of opioids or, frankly, the side effects of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. One that we are working on right now is a very popular target, and that is an ion channel that is required for the conduction of electrical impulses down the nerves that conduct the pain signal. Jane, I've never heard of an ion channel. What is it? We have these channels all over the cells in our body that help them sense their environment and then communicate signals to other cells. Literally though, an ion channel is a hole in the membrane of a cell and it allows ions to pass in one direction or another through the cell membrane. And when the sodium channel opens, sodium rushes in from the outside of the cell into the inside of the cell. And that inrush of sodium ions, which are positively charged, is what causes the action potential, the electrical impulse that underlies all neuronal signaling. The sodium channel many of us are investigating is only present in the neurons that conduct pain. So theoretically, so if we can target those, then we can leave the rest of the neuronal circuitry that's the idea, and that is the concept which is essentially proven by human beings that lack the gene. Those people don't feel pain, but they are not deficient. Jane, how do we find out about people like this? There was a scientist who became very interested in the genetics of a firewalking boy and his extended family, who were also street performers in Pakistan, and he observed that their bodies showed the normal effects one would expect from walking on white-hot coals, but they reported not feeling any pain. This is a goldmine for us since we can make observations and try and translate this knowledge. They have normal motor function, they just don't feel pain. In fact, the condition is called complete insensitivity to pain. It's sounds like a pretty, <laughs> sounds like a pretty uh, good position to be in, but it's actually not very advantageous to have that. But thinking of that and thinking of that double-edged sword, going after a target where you're completely ablating pain may be good for short-term pain, but you may be thinking, the field must be thinking of different things for chronic pain as well. I think what you're alluding to is that if we were to use a drug to ablate that target, that channel, then we would not only cure pain, but also make them painless. We'd all be right? walking on yeah. colds, yeah. I think that's certainly a concern, but I'm not sure it's a guaranteed outcome. So the people who lack the gene, they completely lack the protein. 
If you give a drug, you might be able to block it in a different way that prevents the pain but does not abolish sensitivity to acute pain. Okay? So, so setting different thresholds, yeah. so you can just target it. I think our studies suggest that we can actually treat the chronic pain aspect without preventing the pain sensation conducted by that channel. And then what are other people in the, other scientists in the community pursuing, you know, aside from this, you know, one specific genetic deletion or...? Well, there are quite a few people pursuing this particular target, this sodium channel, because the human genetics is so compelling that this would be a good target to prevent pain. But there are many other attractive targets as well, perhaps not quite as attractive as this sodium channel, but there are other ion channels that are also located in these peripheral nerves that conduct pain. And if you block those, there's a reasonable expectation that will also subdue pain. Clearly, you've had a career trajectory in this space for many, many years now. Perhaps you could kind of take us back to the beginning of that journey and what got you interested into this whole field to begin with? I got into neuroscience and became fascinated by neuroscience more or less by accident. In fact, my first career was not even in science. My first job was as a medical doctor. So you trained both yeah. as a scientist and as a medical doctor? Yeah. You could say I trained in both. I wasn't highly trained in medicine. I mean, I left medicine pretty quickly after I got into medicine. Oh, hang on, you need to explain that a bit further. Why? Uh, when I was growing up, I liked science. I liked quantitative studies and I liked biology and chemistry. And I naturally gravitated towards medicine. And actually, I quite enjoy medicine, but I felt it was a little bit too non-scientific, such that I remember asking questions of physicians and senior doctors when I was training, like, why did you do that? Or how did that happen? And they would not be able to answer. And frankly, they weren't that interested to answer the question. They just said, that's the way it's done. I did get a chance to do a PhD, and I jumped at that because I wanted to do academic research. And that's how I got into science, because I decided to do molecular biology. So. My first research experience was not even in neuroscience. It was just in molecular biology. It's very interesting, though, because both being a doctor and being a biomedical researcher, you know, the end goal is trying to understand human disease and come up with some kind of... One of the end goals, certainly in biomedical science, is to come up with some kind of cure or relief for the patient. So even though you left medicine, you've ended up in a position where you're still helping patients. I think I'm actually more directly helping patients now than in a, the big sense than um, And how's that? Because you can affect more people, you think? Yeah, with... yeah, I mean, medical practice, you help people, but it's one by one. And often you're not really directly helping their disease, especially in medicine and especially in neurology. You cannot really treat their disease. You can diagnose it and you can help them come to terms with it. But until recently, for instance, you could not treat multiple sclerosis. And still these days, you can't treat Alzheimer's disease or painful neuropathy very well. And I know we've covered this in some ways previously. What is the unmet medical need of pain? Maybe the best way I can describe that is I've had pain and I remember pain, which was poorly controlled and it was horrible. So I'm sure that everyone in their lives have episodes where they suffer pain and it's not well controlled. So in my case, it was an ear infection. In a way, it's kind of trivial easily treated. But for days, I walked around with this horrible ache in one of my ears. I don't remember which, which side. And it just made my life a misery. So even though it is common and easily treatable in many cases, I think it just has a huge impact on life because it affects everyone multiple times in their life. The unmet medical need is particularly in the chronic pain and the chronic severe pain, where the normal 
over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are not that effective and where opioids might be more effective but shunned because of their side effects. So I think that includes neuropathic pain where no drug is that effective so far and also the chronic inflammatory pains where you just don't want to keep taking non-steroidals for that long and they're not as effective as they could be. It's an exciting area around neuroscience and neurobiology, especially around the area of pain. We wish you and all your colleagues the very best and we all look forward to seeing some of those things coming into our lives to help us. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Morgan. Well, I hope that fired some neurons. If you want more, check out the cool animation we made about this sodium channel. It's on the Genentech YouTube page and it's one of our big ideas videos called Shutting Down Pain. Spoiler alert, there's a giant robot feature. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new show. In the meantime, be sure to tell your fellow science fans about us, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and most importantly, subscribe and rank us on iTunes. And now, for me, it's back to the lab. <laughs>